So as I mentioned, we're starting this new series entitled Stewards. And this series focuses on priorities and what our priorities are and what God intends for our priorities to, to be. Um, so how many of us actually make like um, to-do lists? You write your goals or you make sort of New Year's resolutions. I know that I'm one of those people. Um, and I use my smartphone, actually have a list in here, and I change goals every year. I have annual goals. I have tasks and to-dos. Um, and <laughs> it's interesting because goals can sometimes include our tangibles and our intangibles, as well as our needs and our wants. And um, sometimes, you know, goals can sometimes look like this. You can organize them in, in, as priorities, you know, work and finances, kid stuff, God stuff, entertainment, and, and family time. Um, Colossians actually tells us that Christ is the invisible image, is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, even before our priorities lists, even before those were created. He's supreme over all creation. He's supreme over all that we are. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. So when, we, when we're making priority lists, or we're making to-do lists, is Christ on our priorities list? Is he at the top of that list? Is he a part of our to-dos, our goals or our resolutions? Is he first? Do we consider God a need or do we consider him a want? Because there's a difference between needs and wants. Uh, I'm part of an organization called Faith Girls and early on when the kids are really little, about Kylie's age, like five years old, we start teaching them the difference between needs and wants. And we use a program called Junior Achievement, and Junior Achievement has this great outline for teaching kids about needs versus wants. But how do we view God in that? Do we consider God a need? Do we consider God a want? And even the things that we need and want, and we, and we look at those priorities and do we think, well, you know, is it going to be okay if I don't have a need or is it going to be okay if I don't have a want? And we can sometimes get into, you know, being anxious about that and worrying about that. And, you know, the, un the unseen and the future can be daunting sometimes if you don't know what that looks like. But in Matthew 6, 31 through 34, and I'm reading from the Amplified Bible, it says, therefore, this is Jesus, the words of Jesus himself saying, therefore, do not worry and be anxious. For the Gentiles or the heathen wish for and crave and diligently seek all these things. So all of these priorities, these needs, these wants, these desires that we have, you know, that 
flow from the heart. Jesus said that, you know, the world wishes for and craves and seeks after all these things. But your heavenly Father knows well that you need all of them. But seek, aim, and strive after, first of all, his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, and then all these things taken together will be given you. So that's interesting that we make these resolutions or we make, you know, we write our goals and we make these lists of priorities. And God says, but don't worry about it. He understands that there are things in this life that we do, we have to do. And there are things that we need and want. But God says, I take care of everything. Everything was created for me, in me, through me, and, and you don't have to worry about it or be anxious about it. But he says to seek first him. So even in our goals or our priorities list, he should be at the very top and at the center of all of that. The only, th- the only thing about that, though, is that our to-do list and our priorities have the potential of robbing us of our true, tr- our true treasure, and that's abundant life. If Jesus is not preeminent in all that we do and all that we're striving after, then we are being robbed of the abundant life that, that he promises. Jesus says in Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in the very beginning, the video shows this heart being transformed in all of these different ways. I'm going to invite Miss Linda to come up and join me. She's going to read our focus scripture in Romans 11.33. The seat. She's going to read Romans 11.33, 12-2. So Miss Linda, take it away. Thank you, V. So today we're going to be talking um, about the scripture that comes from Romans, and it's um, in the New Testament, and it's actually written for the Jews and Gentiles in Rome, and uh, it's written by the Apostle Paul about 50, 55 years after Jesus uh, was resurrected and returned to heaven. And he's writing these things um, as instructions. It's an epistle. And so uh, we read um, this section that starts call by calling it the doxology. And a doxology we is actually a, a praise and glory uh, to God, an expression that way. And so we, we often think of the doxology as that one specific song, praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? This is another version of doxology. So we begin, um, this is Romans 11, beginning at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And continuing then in in Romans 12, 
Therefore, because of these things, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So stay up here with me, please. Thank you. So part of that scripture talks about how everything comes from God and and the part that you read in Romans 11.36. I have the True Living Bible translation. It says, for everything comes from God alone. Everything lives by his power and everything is for his glory. So even in our priorities, in everything that we need and we want and the things that we have to do, all of that still comes from God. And so it's sometimes it can be a challenge to sort of reconcile, you know, our busy lives and everything that, that God has given us to steward. You know, the steward is the person who's responsible for taking care of something. You know, for, for wives, it's your husband, and it's, if you have children, it's your children. And so we have all of these tasks. But then how do you reconcile that with, well, all of this still comes from God. And so how do we sort of make God the the priorities, you know, life itself, you know, how do we, how do we reconcile God and all of that? Do you have any thoughts on that? One thing that always draws me back to center is, um, I don't know if you guys have ever stepped outside on a summer night and looked up at a clear sky and just kind of looked deep into it, and you really can't do it in the city, but out where we live, the stars and the depth of the universe and that always brings me right back to center and recognizing that there's an I didn't create this and the one who did create it, do I have any right to question or challenge the one that created it, right? And so it kind of helps me to put into perspective what I'm thinking I should be about and draws me back to what God wants me to be about. Yeah, the other part of that that really stood out to me was in Romans 12, 2, where it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. You know, sort of, you know, when you think about that, well, what does that really mean? When we think of priorities, you know, the world tells us that, you know, this is what your priority should be. It should be, you know, ABC. Um, It tells you, you know, um, follow your heart or, you know, do what you think is best for yourself. But the, those, words, those words in Romans tells us that the world system operates outside of the mind and the ways of God. So again, we're looking at, you know, how the way of the world, you know, the ways of the world or its system is outside the mind of God. That means that those priorities that the world would tell us that we should make do not line up with God's priorities. And I love that you know, in um, the version app, I don't know if everybody uses the version app, but the word of the day, they're, they're so awesome, those words of the day. And today's word of the day was so apropos because it's from Proverbs 21.2, and it says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. So it goes back even to what Jesus said, that out of the, the abundance of our heart, it's you know, where our treasure is, there, there is our heart also. And so 
what we think is right or what we think is a priority or, you know, this is the way that we should, you know, schedule our lives or this is the to-do list for me and these are my priorities, that would seem right to us. But God is looking at our heart and saying, well, does that really line up with what he says the priorities should be and how does he fit into those priorities? In Jeremiah 17, 8 through 10, um, the New Living Translation says that the heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. That's profound because if the world is telling us, follow your heart, this is what your priority should be, but God is saying that the world's system of what they would classify as priorities operates outside of the mind and ways of God, then that doesn't really line up. It doesn't reconcile with, with what God is telling us. I know personally for me, you know, I get very busy in, you know, the things that I feel are priorities and tasks. And, you know, a day would go by and I'd be like, oh, I forgot to, you know, read a scripture or I forgot to, you know, pray today. And, but God didn't forget to wake me up this morning. You know, God didn't forget to breathe the breath of life into my body each day. And thank God that that's the God that we serve, that he doesn't forget to make us his priority. Even Jesus himself, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were yet even making all of these to-do lists and resolutions and striving to, you know, have these perfect priorities that may have operated outside of God and, and they do oftentimes, you know, I'm the first to admit, you know, that there are those times when I've just not made God the priority. I've not made God the center. But God doesn't forget to make us the center. So the last part of what you read, Ms. Linda, is uh, Romans 12.2, where it says, but be a new and different person with a fresh newness in all we do and think. Then we will learn from our own experience how his ways will really satisfy us. And Pastor Mike's actually going to dig a lot deeper into that and, and what priorities look like for us as stewards of God and stewards in God's kingdom. And, you know, we probably all need some heart transplants. <laughs> so will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word today. God, we look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. We know that our own ways seem right in our eyes. Our priorities seem right in our eyes. But God, help us to remember that all things were created by you and through you. Even the things that we consider priorities and the things that we busy our lives with, help us to make you the center, Lord God. Thank you for Pastor Mike coming up, Lord God, to dig deeper into this, to show us your word, to show us the truth of your word. Let your word have free course today, God. And let every heart receive all that God has for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
So it's an honor to, to add my voice to the conversation that has already begun in our new series called Stewards. Let me ask you a question. If you had to answer the question, what is a God? What would your answer be? How would you answer that question? You know, we, uh, we put a lot of weight into the readings, the teachings of Martin Luther. So I just want to share with you what he defined a God as. Luther said a God is a term for that, of two things, to which we uh, are to look for all good, so those things that we hope in, and in which we find refuge in all need. So as we're talking about the idea of being stewards of what God has given us, how he's given us our lives and the things that we have and the people that we have, uh, the way in which we position ourselves against those things or with those things really causes us to step back and look at how important they are to us. And that helps us to understand what it is that we're actually worshiping in life. Which God do we actually serve? Who do we actually see as our God? Today we're going to kind of look at the opposite. If you're trying to learn a new concept or trying to understand something profound and spiritual and perhaps even challenging and difficult, what you want to try to do as a tactic is look at the opposite of it. So if you want to try to understand who God is or who your God is, look at what the opposite of what life would be without your God. Or for us, it could be looking at what an idol is. Now, what's an idol? An idol is something that you look for for all good or that you turn to in times of need for refuge that isn't the God who made you. It's something that stands apart from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and which wants and tries to tempt you to find all good in it or to turn to it whenever things go south in life. For example, if there's something in your life that you turn to in desperate times that isn't God, something like how much money you have in the bank, or how secure your job might be, or how strong your marriage might be. If you turn to those things first, instead of a before turning to God, then the temptation in that moment is for that thing, whatever that thing is, to become an idol. Something that temporarily replaces God. I want to share with you a story from the Old Testament. This is in Exodus chapter 32. It's the story of the golden calf. And if you remember this story from Sunday school, basically the way the story goes is that the, the kingdom of Israel was being led by Moses out in the desert. They had just been liberated from Egypt, so now they are free. But they're kind of stuck out in the desert with Moses, and Moses has gone up on Mount Sinai, and what is he getting at the top of Mount Sinai? What does he come down with? Do you remember? the Ten Commandments, right? Kind of the core of the law of the predecessor of our faith as, as Christians, right? And we still hold that the Ten Commandments have value. They are the law, right? Moses went up there to get the Ten Commandments. While he was gone, and he was gone a long time, the Israelites down below began to forget who was the one who liberated them from Egypt. They forgot that God 
brought them out of Egypt. You remember the story. God took them out of Egypt by bringing all these plagues on the Egyptians, and the Pharaoh even lost a son in the process, right? But they're out there in the desert having followed Moses and followed God through Moses this far, and they've forgotten that God was the one who liberated them. And so they decided that just having God and having Moses up on a mountain somewhere getting Ten Commandments and them not seeing him anytime soon was not enough to sustain their faith. So they decided to get Aaron, who was kind of Moses' right-hand command, and, and tell him to do something about it. And what did Aaron do? Aaron went to Israel and said, I want you to pull all your gold earrings and this would have been men, women, and children who would have had gold, you know, jewelry and such. I want you to pull your gold, and we're going to melt it all down, and we're going to make a golden calf out of it. And, and we're going to put that up, and then Aaron said, we're going to make an altar to that. Since we can't see God at work, since we can't see Moses coming down the mountain and giving us what we need, we're going to turn to the next best thing. And so they turned to this golden idol and they basically started to say or sing or shout that this was the God who brought us out of Egypt, this golden calf that they had made. And the story goes that, um, that Moses finds out about it from God. God and Moses are in conference up on the top of Mount Sinai. And Moses finds out about it and rushes down the mountain and confronts Israel about the replacement that they had done with this golden calf. And the story goes that he ends up uh, forcing Israel to grind down the statue of the golden calf and turn that gold into powder. And if you remember the story at all, he basically puts the powder into their water and makes them drink it. So can you imagine? Now, this is not where you go to Bar Louie and order, you know, a martini, and they put the gold flakes in it, right? It's not quite as fancy as that, but uh, even noting that there is a drink in South Korea that has gold flakes in it that you can buy on the open market and drink it, let me ask you a question. If you drink gold flakes, does that get absorbed into your body? Does it help you? Does it grow you? Or where does that gold end up? Everybody's giggling if you're listening by podcast. The reason is, is because you end up eliminating the gold from your body. You understand what I mean? So what Moses was doing with the Israelites was teaching them that the idol that they had put their faith in was no better than that. That they had the living God working in their lives and leading them. And instead, what they chose to do is put their faith in something that was temporary, that couldn't save them. And for the moment... That idol that might have given them hope in a future really just became something that they would take to the latrine. I think in that story, God is speaking to us about the nature of idols and what they're worth. See, idols talk more about taking the place of things at the top of our list of priorities. Idols want all of you. Idols want to consume you. They want to, be, they want to be at the middle of you. Here's kind of how we know that works. If you look in the business world or the world of education, when the business world or educational world is planning 
and making priorities for what they're going to do with themselves and how they're going to organize their operations. They tend to look at them in a circle instead of in a list. Now, when we make priorities, we tend to make a list, number one, two, three, four, five, as the lady said earlier. But the business world is a little sharper than that. The educational planning world is sharper than that. These realms put planning in a circle. And in the circle, there's something in the middle. There's something at the center or at the core of the planning process. And for you and me, the way we would consider that is where do we put ourselves and our families and our careers and our idols and our gods in the focus of the circle of our lives, the whole, uh, the whole picture of our lives that has some kind of center to it. And then the question becomes, where is God? And does God find himself on the fifth circle or the fourth or the, the next circle to the middle, or is God in the middle? The idea is that all of life revolves around whatever it is that's at the center of the circle of our lives. Those become our priorities. The question for us is, can we examine what is at the center of our lives and determine what is at the middle with so much stuff going on? We are the busiest generation ever. Not necessarily that we're producing more, but that we are so busy. We have so many objectives to accomplish. We have so many hopes and dreams for our kids. And we are tempted to do things for our kids, perhaps even for our family members and ourselves, that we would not normally do if we had something different at the center of the circle of our lives. But God calls us to take a look at this and to really focus on what the concept of the center of our lives is and to see what those priorities are in regards to what is going on around that center. Because what's going on around that center helps us figure out what's in the middle. Now, God's place in your life and mine may look a little bit like this sometimes. God may be outside the circle of your life trying to get in. Or God may find himself inside the circle of your life, but running in circles on a certain loop outside of the center. For us, that makes us kind of step back and say, well, wait a minute. What was God's role always supposed to be in the circle of my life? Let's look back at a scripture that V referred to in the very beginning of the introduction. In Colossians 1, the Bible says in verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So if you're ever wondering what God looks like or where to find him, where do you look? One place. The Son is the image of the invisible God. You need not look outside anything but Jesus to find the image of God, the face of God, who God is. For in him, verse 16, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created, how? Through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, guys, if you hear anything at all today, 
What I don't want you to hear is a default message that says it's all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. But we need to be better at communicating what that means in the church. What does it mean that my life is all about Jesus and that Christ is at the center of my life and it's the priority of my life? It literally means this. It means that when we live in Christ, the things involved in our life hold together. When Jesus is at the core, everything that I'm concerned about in my life holds together and takes its natural place in my life. When Christ is not at the core of my life, then various aspects of my life will by default try to compete for the center of my life. For example, if I hold my career in a lot of esteem, if I hold my career really high and I go through hard times, I can be tempted to forget that Jesus is at the center and I can always fall back to this idea. Well, at least I've got a good job. Have you ever said that to yourself? At least I've got a good job. But what if your job goes away? Another idea is this, at least I've got good health. But what if your health goes away? Or at least I've got a good marriage. What if your marriage goes away? At least I've got strong parents. What if your parents go away? It's not that those parts of your life aren't worthy and don't have worth. It's that they're not worth being at the center. The center is meant to be occupied by one being and one being only, and his name is Jesus. And when he occupies that center, he doesn't occupy it because he should or has to. He occupies it because he wants to, and that is why he came. And when he occupies that center, everything else in life works. Everything else in life holds together. Think of it this way. Now, when we look at architecture, and I know there are a few people in the room who have studied architecture before, what is the role of a cornerstone? These days, it's basically just garnish on a building. It's a nice spot on a building that shows maybe what year the building was built, or maybe builders will put a time capsule inside a cornerstone so that when the building is demolished in the future there are items from the year the building was built that remind them what life was like but back before modern architecture back in the old days in jesus time a cornerstone did much more than just embellish a building in fact if you look at the images on the screen if you're listening by podcast you'll see that there's a stone in a stone building that's much larger than all the rest. And the stone that's used in this type of building and architecture actually holds up the stones that are all around it. It serves as an anchor, as a directional way to build the building so that the building has integrity and structure. And as you study this, you find that the cornerstone really does hold the building together in such a way that if you pull the cornerstone out, what happens to the building by default? It will collapse. 
Now, these days, if you find a nice modern building and you pop out the cornerstone, is the building going to fall down? No, because it doesn't have any value in holding the integrity of the system of the building together. But if you go back to Jesus' time and you pop the cornerstone out of a building, what can result? The building can implode on itself. It can fall, right? The way God has very boldly and uncompromisingly put it to us is this. When Christ is at the center, he is the cornerstone. He's the middle. He is the one who makes all the working parts of life happen. That includes kids' sports. It includes finances. It includes marriages. It includes children and discipline. It includes planning and hopes and dreams for the future. It includes whether you have as much stuff as the next door neighbor or not. It includes whether you have as much faith as the person sitting next to you or not. All of those issues can be handled by a Jesus who occupies the center of your heart by design, the center of your life by purpose and with meaning. You know, the idea really comes down to what is it that revolves around what is at the center of your life? And understanding how God means Jesus to be at the middle of it. Now, if you're a kid and you're in science class and you learn about solar systems, you know that the planets and the objects in the solar system rotate around what? Around the sun. The sun provides the gravity that holds them all together. If these objects spinning around our sun were not held in perfect order, what would happen to them? They'd spin off, wouldn't they? And they'd probably crash into each other, wouldn't they? Now, folks, this is not to say that as a Christ follower, you're not going to have difficult times in life because we all do. We all have challenges and difficulties, right? But the thing in question today in regards to priorities is not this. It's not to say that a Christian is going to have a life without challenge. It's to say that a Christ follower is going to have a life with Jesus at the middle of it. And that person can always trust and count on Jesus being at the middle of it. And when he's at the middle of it, without any idols in the way, then all the other bits and pieces of life, including the challenges and the good times, will take their proper place. Do you see the difference? The difference is not that we don't have challenges and difficulties. The difference is how we see challenges and difficulties and how we see great blessings and good times. God calls us to see Jesus for who he is. He is the center. He is the one who holds all things together. He is the one who commands the heart. And he's the one who can show you how to organize the priorities of your life. For example, if you've got something that's stressing you out right now, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you do, but if you've got something that's stressing you out right now, name that in your head. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. Name that in your head. Whatever that thing is, 
whatever that thing is, or whomever that is, is actively trying to take the place of God in your life. Actively. Daily. And when Christ occupies that place, he's not going to give it up easily. He will only let himself come out of the middle of your life if you do what? Let that other thing occupy the center. Whatever it is. The beauty and the power of following Jesus is that even when we choose to let an idol get into the middle of our lives, Jesus died for that too. And he heals us from that and he removes that idol at the asking and he goes right back into his place which is right smack dab at the bullseye right in the middle now lest we be tempted to take that for granted that is why we step back every once in a while usually about once a year here at Trinity and we take a look at our priorities as Jesus followers and we ask ourselves the question who is it that occupies the center of my life? Who is it that sets my priorities? Who is it that arranges my schedule, my checkbook, my conversation, my thought life, the way I feel, how and where I go on vacation, or am involved in people's lives or missing from people's lives? Who is it that sets the tone of all those decisions? Is it the Jesus we follow the cornerstone, or is it something else? Imagine if Jesus is at the center. The best news of all is, because of what he did on the cross, he already occupies that place in your life. He's already there. And when you're tempted to allow something else to take his place, all you need to do is what? Remember that that's where he belongs and he is there again. Remember that he is the cornerstone. Remember he is the one who holds all things together and he will be there and dwell with you in all of those spinning priorities. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us, never to be apart from us, never to leave us on our own. And when Jesus makes a promise, does he keep it? Yes. How often? 100% of the time. You can count on that. You can bank on it. You can rest your life on it. And in fact, Jesus wants us to do that so that we can understand what abundant life really means. Would you pray with me? Christ, you are the center. You are the one who holds all things together. You are the one who put the planets in the sky. You are the one who caused them to rotate around the sun. You are the one who captures my heart and captures it again when I am tempted to let something else occupy your place. Christ, I confess before you today, there are times when I have let other things be at the center. And I was perplexed when stuff started to fall apart. And I saw it fall apart all the way to the point of devastation. 
And then in the devastation I saw, by your grace and by your power, that you were always meant to be at the center and that nothing else can take your place. So as we worship you now and as the conversation continues here in song, we ask God that you capture our hearts once again and help us to see who it is in our lives. You would help us communicate that great good news to. We worship you now and we pray together in your name. Amen and amen.